0: Welcome back, listeners, from Central Sauce and the Fifth Element Podcast Network. This is In Search of Sauce, a celebration of the writers who are saving music journalism from death by clickbait. I am Brandon Hill. I'm the managing editor at Central Sauce. I have with me today Ryan, uh, writer at Central Sauce and Football Paradise and Tyler, creator of the Season Sauce playlist and writer for Revol- Revolts A2Z webcomic. How are you doing today, guys?
1: Wonderful. I am alive.
2: And that's, <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I'm at.
0: What have we, we been working on lately? What do we got to promote here? I know, I think both you guys have some pretty cool stuff going on.
2: Yeah,
1: Tyler go first because Tyler's got the coolest stuff going yeah. on. Yeah.
2: It's 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 cool. It's um um I've currently we've just now had two issues out, but I'm the new writer for the A 2 Z web series comic. It is a lifestyle comic um, that we've put on to, that we put on Revolt. You can find it on the Revolt Instagram page. Um, really, just discussing life topics through millennial and Gen Z eyes, and wonderful characters we've created, and also just um you know putting together the season sauce playlist. Looking out for that this Friday, we have enough material to have a new uh, have a new one out. So, yeah, guys, check
1: it out.
0: And what about yourself, Ryan?
1: Uh, for me, keep an eye on a new series that uh, MixMag have uh, coming out this week. It's based on South Asian artists, and they got a bunch of South Asian writers to write about South Asian artists. And I interviewed uh, Arby Nomad, who longtime Central Source fans, I guess, will uh, know about from SourceFest and just from content on the website. So, yeah, look out for that and look out for uh my interview with Adam Wright. He was an animator, he animates music videos. Um the trigger for the conversation was his music video he made for Open Mike Eagles Idaho. And uh yeah, that conversation was brilliant if you're into animation. He get, he dropped so many gems just about um I guess surrealism in animation and how he feels animation like its purpose and yeah, it's it's a really great conversation and uh yeah oh i would really like it i did recently by uh for young morpheus uh i dress and pink sufu's uh georgette's tea room build article but uh yeah i really like that one so yeah check that one out too what have you yeah, got love- going on brandon
0: <laughs> i just recently interviewed an artist named kevin holiday um for central sauce uh for about his new ep called omni uh, which was a really interesting interview because he omni you know is the prefix it means of all things um which is sort of an indication on his ep of like how he really draws a lot of inspiration from like funk uh punk rap hip-hop like r&b like he draws like so much um different inspirations for his style so he considers it to be of all things so we really talked about um you know coming up in an increasingly genre world of music um as well as like punk romance and the way that like Punk songwriting in particular gives you the chance to sort of step outside yourself and uh, view your relationships from like a third-person perspective and really like highlight the ironies that you can find there. So normally on In Search of Sauce, this would be the part of the podcast uh, where we give you a little bit about what we've been listening to lately. But I'm just going to sum that up real quick for all three of us with Little Sims, um, Sometimes I Am Introvert, incredible album, check it out. And on this episode in particular, we are doing...
1: Brandon, it's sometimes <laughs> Sometimes I be introvert. Isn't that what
0: I it's said? Isn't that it? Is. <laughs> sometimes
1: I might be introvert. Actually. I might be introvert. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I missed Literally. a word. I'm trying to try spit it out in my head. I love that. Yeah, anyway, you got to get the on. acronym.
0: Right? I love that. So on this episode, we're actually doing um, volume two of our video game music podcast, which is back by popular request from all three people I know in my real life who said they liked that episode. (laughs) So we have some great pieces we're gonna do on video game music journalism today. Um, We're starting with one in Mashable um, on how music shapes the way that we play video games. And then we're moving on to Ryan who brought another video. Um, This one is the double-edged nature of video game music on YouTube. And then we're ending with my piece, Soundscapes of the End, uh, which details uh, mainly Fallout New Vegas, but just in general, um, how the Fallout games sort of capture the, the silence and the sound of the apocalypse with music. So why don't we go ahead and jump right in? Tyler.
2: All right. Um, I, had the, I have our first article for the day for How Music Shapes the Way We Play Video Games by Kellen Beck. Um, I I chose this this article was because like, for, for one, it's I've always been interesting like how do, how our how the music and video games can really up in our mood the whole entire day. Um, so something that Kellen Beck does, he goes to different composers of different uh, different series, um, Grant Kirkhope, Winnie Fred Phillips, and just kind of like see and see how they compose music. Um, and something that I found that was a theme throughout all of them, and eventually he gets to, is the idea of creating moments, right? Um, st- and just moments that are standing above anything else, whether it's the actual design of the game, whether it's the visual, but how it can still all complement it. Um, and something I found a quote from Beck himself them- um, as just puts it simply, in order to create a moment, it has to stand out in terms of gameplay, story writing, and music, not only does that mean that everything has to have elevated intensity in those moments, but the rest of the game has to facilitate that elevation. Um, and it made a lot of sense to me. Uh, it, it, real quick, what what do you guys? What are some of your favorite moments in music, um, in, in terms of like video games?
0: Oh, the one that came to my mind so perfect was the end of Halo Three. Or Halo Reach. I can't remember which particular Halo, but you like play through. Of course, you have the big, grand like finale. That's like the end of like this whole run in the series of the games, and then you get that play- played out by that Master Chief theme song, and you see his helmet just like floating through space, and that like that shit was impactful. It um, reminds me specifically of like when Beck talked about the moment in um, Final Fantasy VII when yep. the chorus comes in against the final boss um Sephiroth and how the, like impactful and emotional that moment is in sort of that like choir like choral music like that.
1: What about you, Ryan? Um I'm trying to think of something that I haven't said before or isn't based entirely on nostalgia. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can you can talk about Celeste. This this piece gets into detail on Celeste.
1: Oh my god, I didn't <laughs> I didn't even come to Celeste yet. So I I'm gonna say a couple couple moments. Um the first one is um, just Mario Galaxy and just hearing an orchestrated score on a video game. That just felt like huge, just hearing strings and a full orchestra. And when it gets to Gusty Garden Galaxy, and you just hear that beautiful track. It just like it, it feels like a moment where you, like you felt like video games entered the new era, and that whole Wii, Xbox 360, PlayStation 3 era felt like such a new age for video games, with those companies really at the forefront. Um, another one was another Mario game, Mario 64, jumping into Bob and Battlefield for the first time, hearing the horns. It's just iconic, I think that's most nostalgia though. And the other one was um, Pokemon Emerald, um, basically playing the whole game, and then going back to Little Root Town. And just hearing how quaint the music is compared to like the just the ferociousness of the music you hear later on in the game and just how uh, how far the scope goes. Going back to Little Root Town and hearing it all just quiet down again, being the Pokemon champion again. Yeah, that's a really cool moment I remember.
2: Yeah, it's like a de-escalation of everything, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it goes back to the point of saying um, by, from a quote from uh, Grant Kirkhope, it tells how you're supposed to feel like whether it's scared, happy, sad, whatever it is, it's massively important. It's in that it's a simple quote, but it's but it but it's true. Um, I, the moment for me is when I beat Mega Man Battle Network 3 for the first time again in like years. I've got it again recently on my Game Boy. I borrowed my roommate's Game Boy Advance and played it all the way through. And that satisfaction of this hearing basically like mega man turns to hub and land is having and they're having a family moment that score beneath because it starts off with silence and then goes into like that music and i was like man am i, am I crying in the club right now like bro <laughs> this is crazy <laughs> uh,
0: scoring scoring mobile games has really advanced so much lately too like you know mu- like music has always been a big component of um console games but like as we talked about on the last episode how consoles for a long time were limited by like the physical structures uh, mobile games were even more limited by the physical structures so it's great to see especially like now with things on the switch like it's great to see really awesome soundtracks get ported over to actual like full mobile games
2: Agreed, and and I think it's something that's that's and you can probably this this might be different nowadays. I, it's, I would love to see probably an updated version of that previous article that we had from last time that you're referencing. The fact that a lot of games are nowadays can be downloaded too, and how that changes that soundscape um, because they they can maybe put more data into it. They can maybe fit more things into it, but. Hopefully we do get an updated version of that um, thing one day. Spe- uh, come, going back to the article, um, what was something that you guys really liked about it?
1: For me, I'm always a big fan of a piece that can collate quotes from different sources and make the whole thing a really cohesive narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the piece never feels like it's disjointed. Like It feels like um, both with his questioning and with the, where the conversations tend to go, he cut the exactly perfect quotes to fit the narrative he was trying to tell and i think it takes a lot of skill to pull that off it's not easy to do so you have like um like you said from grant um Cope, you get quotes about how music tells the player how to feel and later on you get this quote from Win- winifred phillips who says um there is an inherent energy level and a visual kinetic rhythm to gameplay that as a composer i try to play try to pay very close attention to If I'm doing my job correctly, my music is going to kind of jigsaw well into the overall visual rhythm of gameplay. It's going to feel like it really marries well to the energy level and promotes the player's immersion and involvement. And I think Beck uses these quotes really well to show video games as the subtle guide that isn't really trying to stand out, but it's only after you reflect on the experience when you realise how much of it contributed to your experience. And he also managed to have some variation in the sense that each composer had to tackle something completely different, right? It was a completely different challenge for different composers, but he still managed to make the article cohesive and tell a narrative while being kind of diverse in the type of games that were showcased. So like you have a cartoonish platformer like Donkey Kong 64 or Eraser and then compare it to a game like Celeste, which is like a platforming puzzle game, which is completely different energy and has a modern 8-bit aesthetic and, like, tying that balance is really difficult and I think Lena Raine is a legend for that. And, yeah, I I think it's just really smart to get those different perspectives. What about you, Brendan?
0: Yeah, um, I like how, you know, in a piece like this where, like you said, it brings so many different interviews but at the same time, like, nobody felt like they were ever just repeating the same thing. Um, You know, it's it's sort of like a snowball effect. Like, he brings in uh, Grant Kirkhope, who has composed for GoldenEye, Donkey Kong 64, uh, Banjo Kazooie, and some others, and then uh, Winfred Phillips, who's Assassin's Creed: Liberation's Little Big Planet, uh, Spider, God of War, which, by the way, God of War soundtrack is crazy good too. Um, Big facts, especially seeing the growth that they've gone to on the new games that like really changed the entire personality of the games, and they needed like music to fit that change while also keeping you know, the same like energy that made the original series popular. Um, So huge shout out on that too. And then also Speed Racer, which I've got a great quote I want to talk about further on. Um, But then Gareth Coker, who composed both the Ori games, Ark Survival Evolved in Minecraft, and then Lena Rain who was Celeste, Guild Wars 2 in Minecraft. Um, And, you know, each person sort of like has their own perspective on like what they bring when they are composing music. But Beck, the journalist here, what they really do is connect how, you know, each person has their own unique perspective, but they also need to know and use all the same cumulative skills um, and tricks as like every other composer. Like, you know, like you have your specialty, but there's so many things that are like, you know, the same about music, um, video game music, no matter like what style you're composing in. And a lot of that is like the random elements of the player. You know, being able to compose music that is gentle and relaxing and also grand and exciting. Uh, Being able to compose music that catches your ear and is really catchy in the first, you know, couple minutes that you hear it, but also doesn't contribute to frustration when you're failing and repeating the same level over and over again. Like these are so many like complex, you know, ideas and structures that go into video game music that don't interact with like other music that you listen to in the same way
2: it's the it's basically creating the ultimate form of replay value (laughs) because if because think about it if you're going to be playing these games for for sometimes people be logging 200 hours into a game 90 hours into like it can range from 90 to 200 hours while an album we get sometimes can we like we complain if it's like over an hour and a half or just like over really over 45 minutes, we'll be listening to this music and and different variations of it on different levels for weeks, months, years, possibly even. So them crafting that soundscape and those wonderful notes that we hear are all about those moments that I think that Beck was trying to like get into in the article was where they are, it's almost the snowball effect you were talking about uh, to their greater point of creating moments inside the video game. Cause as it was going through the whole, as it's going through the motions, of gameplay. It's it's making sure that each person is hitting something for the player that they recognize that they that they keep with them, right?
0: And that's yeah, that's a big part when you're talking about the player too because the like when it comes to video games even as opposed to like music and movies, um the player isn't just experiencing the big or the player isn't just, you know, watching the big moments. They're experiencing them and they're a part of them and the music has to reflect that. Um who is it? Cork Coker says, uh, who did the music for Ori, um, which is similar to Celeste, it's a very, like, relaxing platforming game, but then it has these, like, grand boss fight m- f- boss fight moments that are supposed to, like, dwarf you, you know, They're, they make you feel small and helpless, and the music in this moment, like, doesn't just, like, hit on exciting, because it's not just exciting, it's also, like, sad, it's also, Scary. It's also and and you know those feelings evolve throughout a boss fight. Um, he mentions how in this particular fight against Mora the spider in the Ori games, the the music theme for the boss changes as you continue to fight it, and it climbs up a tree. So y- you know there's so many like different things that go into a moment that make it something that you experience and not just like watch on a predetermined you know, set of music that hits at the time that it's supposed to hit.
2: Agreed. Agreed. Uh you guys have any lasting or oh, see, ending thoughts on this article by um Beck?
1: Uh just that it's like structurally, just in a nerd way, I just love the way that first of all the subheadings, they wrapped up the themes, the way that he pushed the narrative of quotes, I just think that's brilliant. And yeah, it's really difficult to do in something I really appreciate. All I the little
0: graphics doing. are beautiful too. Oh, the and graphics like, oh, yeah. are so yeah, good. Yeah,
2: it was so dope. Like whoever did that, I, I, I didn't, I didn't see a credit for it. Maybe I just might have missed it. But like whoever did that, I, they killed that. They killed that.
0: And the the placement too of even like the the YouTube videos that they embedded, um, yeah. that one like demonstrate like here I just spoke to this person. Here's this example. This music I'm talking about, and here's how this example demonstrates exactly what we're talking about. Um, yeah, just very well placed and very well organized All right, ready to move on to Ryan's video. Another video. Is this your third video in a row now? Is yeah, it, man, the a agenda row? continues. Is it Going, is is pushing? It? I did not know it was on a row,
1: it. my lord. And the next time I come on, I've got another one lined up already, so. This one was Until much different, I feel like, than other one. videos you brought, to Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so uh, the video that I brought is called The Double-Edged Nature of Video Game Music, and it's by a channel called Sideways. And I found this video really intriguing, like, right, just genuinely right off the bat with a discussion of how the enjoyment of music is based around timing, right? Like a composer has the context of the previous notes to make the next note really, really hit. And if they're scoring a movie, they can pace their music towards an emotional climax. But that doesn't exist for a video game where literally every single action is user-defined, you know? And like Sideways says, nobody can make you press start. And that's something that I genuinely never ever thought about before. But it's right at the start of this video, it's the very first point that he makes. And yeah, the learning experience that this video was just continues from there as his um, music theory knowledge really comes comes to the fore. And he labels video game music as indeterminate, meaning an aspect of the music is left to chance. And carries on bringing music theory in this way to tie in the philosophy video game music composers must carry with them, right? and he later uses the term aleatoric to describe video game music which describes music where the composition is left to the interpretation of the performer. And he compares it to jazz music, the way that jazz has a basic structure but is also a series of freeform solos at the same time, you know the performer has that that license to do what they want. And he gives all this context to set up the point that this makes the player of the game both the audience and the performer of the composer's piece. And I think that's really profound. And I, re- I get a real kick out of pieces that can blend technical and emotional aspects of music. And I'm going to see the way I play games differently because of this video. I'm going to see myself as someone who's dictating the music as well as the character on the screen. And I think that's that's just a brilliant way to look at it and never something I would have thought about. And it comes from quite not maybe dense isn't the right word, but it's fairly dense music theory that he goes into, and lots of um, musical historical context. I, so, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go for it, Tyler.
2: Go for oh, I just want to say, I was like, um, for any um, for whenever I'm watching these types of videos or I'm reading an article, when the when they start getting to music theory talk that I don't quite understand, when I, <laughs> <laughs> whenever they can actually almost like simplify it and bring it down to earth for a. In this, ter- in this case, a watcher, um, it always, I think they're, all, that means it's, it's a telltale sign that they're doing a great job. Um, cause I was like, whenever music- That's where, it's yeah. where the
0: video component comes in really well. It like, it helps a where, lot. Well, a lot man. of these things translate better visually than they translate in text.
2: Yeah, and I was like, oh, I don't feel stupid. I can actually follow what he's saying. Um, and I think that's a key talent that a lot of these, that a lot of, um, video essay people don't get credit for. um, Also just, and having the visual representation of like, like you, as you were saying, the start screen, no one can ever miss you, make you play start or make you press start. It made me think back to as many, how so many times where I've just like, I've had to like go heat up something, right? (laughs) And I haven't pressed the start button just because I'm like waiting on my hot pocket. So I'm like, oh yeah, I got to hear the full context of like the song or different songs because of, because I just took my time. And if I and usually when I'm rushing a game, I'm just I'll just press it immediately and just go right into it. But that made that really made me stop and think. It makes me want to like hold off as long as I can to pressing the start button whenever I play a new video game. Now
0: the aleatoric hot pocket. <laughs> yeah. This this video was a great example though of like when we first started doing this like special podcast series on video game music. It was like oh like let's just like talk about some games we like and like how cool the music is. But like the more that we've now like talked about it and read about it and got in depth on it, the more like you actually really appreciate like how freaking cool this shit is. And I just want to go back over like aleatoric music and use an analogy uh, that was brought up in the video. So the way like, or at least the best, the best visual to help me understand aleatoric music um, was when he talked about supposedly, I think it was Beethoven, um, supposedly had composed a musical score on the back of a deck of playing cards, right? Where each cor- you know, each card would have like a certain section of music, you know, a couple stanzas or whatever. That way, when you took the deck of cards and you shuffled them together and you just played the music in the order that it was presented to you on the cards, every single time you shuffle it, you're getting a new piece of music, right? And that it comes through the people or the person who's playing the music. Well, in this case, like as you bring this analogy out, um, to the player in the video games, the player is literally playing the, the, the shuffle of the cards as it's presented, right? The player, you are the chaotic element in the composition and the actions that you take depend how the music is played. But the the composer, on the, of the person who like composes the soundtracks for the video games, they don't have to just deal with a random assortment of cards. Right, it's more calculated than that. The game and the composition actually runs an algorithm that can determine basically the order that the cards, that the order the deck is arranged in, based on what's happening. Um, one of the best examples is they talk about how um, in Super Mario or one of the Mario Nintendo games, when you hop on Yoshi, the soundtrack adds a drum beat to it. Right, it's the same song, the same track. But it adds when you get on Yoshi, it adds some percussion to the background. Right. That is the game and the composer indicating that, like, okay, so now I'm riding around this little green dinosaur. I'm throwing eggs. I'm hopping around. How does that change the feeling that I want the music to give the player? Right.
2: It's kind of cool. It made me it made the the way they described it. It made me feel like I was the orc I was the orchestra uh I was the orchestrator, like I was the guy conducting everything, and then like the composer is a larger orchestra at play. I was like, oh, it, it gets it makes the player feel like they're involved in the music making process to a certain degree. And bring that in, making the user a part of it, that's dope and it's something I never thought of.
1: Yeah, and it's crazy just how much of these decisions made in art just come down to immersion, right? all comes down to just like a subconscious, some kind of subconscious understanding of what's meant to be happening, how you're meant to be feeling like we learned in the the last piece. It's all about ushering the player or the audience in a certain direction. And you know a lot of I'm gonna talk about this later, but a lot of uh people describe like try to really describe immersion in video games and like they try to say oh it makes you feel like this but this video tells you all of that without needing to say it once right it never has to tell you it makes you feel like you're on Yoshi no you just understand and I think that's great and I also love that you guys really attach to the analogies like I did and I think that speaks to um, Sideways and the, uh music um, Theory knowledge and their like music school background, as uh, they allude to in the video, um, uh, and I think it's awesome when you can take something that's very academic and apply it to not only not only make the deep music theory understandable to the layman, but to um, bring it into video games which people don't really see as an artistic medium outside of people who play games, you know? So I think uh, it, in that in one movement, kind of um, cuts out the elitism and, you know, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Gives credence to video games as an art form. Yes,
0: yes. yes. So it, like... The way that it presents like the history of this idea of aleatoric music is sort of this like very experimental sort of composition style um, that a bunch of people experimented with and a bunch of people wanted to perfect, but couldn't necessarily like either find the way to, you know, add all the random elements they wanted, they couldn't find the way to make it all like sync up and come into a beautiful thing. But what it does is it now positions video games. Not just as like, oh, this is a nifty little trick that's used in video game music. But as video games are the extension, like, they made it work. Like, video game composers made this, like, super avant-garde, super experimental, very, like, out-there style of composition. They became the perfect format for it. Like, it is literally, like, a perfection of this, you know, very, like, sought-after style of musical composition.
2: He, it's like he's giving you the why of the how from previous musicians, like how, uh, mm-hmm. how they got there and why it's being done. And without without me people even asking the question initially, because you not because you're not even thinking about it from the first place, because it's like, once again, it's video game music. So people aren't thinking of it in that highbrow way, when in fact, it's probably yeah. one of the most in and in, in, in terms of music theory, it's one of the most highbrow music you can kind of listen to without, <laughs> without even thinking about it.
0: Yeah, and even even on the immersion side, like, you know, when we talk about video game music, we're always talking about immersion. And it, it's funny because, like, before really studying, like, some of this video game music stuff, I thought of immersion as, like, oh, like, I'm in the game, like, I feel like I am the character. Like, you know, I feel like this is a realistic world with a believable story, but it adds like a whole nother layer to immersion that immersion becomes, you know, not just a way to like see yourself in the game, but a way to emotionally connect with the game as a piece of art and not just as like an avenue to like get out of your own head and be in another place, but like to facilitate a connection to a piece of art.
2: You're being, and that's
0: more in the music than in like the game actual like mechanics and structures and and environments and stuff.
2: Oh yeah, I was just gonna say you're being psychologically isekai'd, which <laughs> <laughs> anyone who watches anime will get that.
0: I'm I'm sure that our uh, anime audience crosses over with our video game music podcast episode listeners, so. which
1: crosses over to our music journalism. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's all connected. It's all connected. <laughs> it's all connected. But yeah, um yeah, just to round off this this video, um uh yeah, I just thought it was a, a brilliant and very short way to give a lot of depth to like something we do daily that we don't really think about much, just play a game, throw something on. You don't really think about it that deeply. And this adds just a whole layer of depth to it. And it's just talking about music like it's just the music part there's so much more Mm -hmm. about video games when it comes to art styles and mechanics all this kind of stuff but this is just one aspect and it gives so much credence to it as an art form and yeah man video game composers deserve more um more like that that, sure
2: absolutely give them their flowers man
0: well said well said All right, the last piece we're gonna discuss today is the one I brought. Uh, It's called Soundscapes of the End um, by In the Lobby on Medium. Um, First, I'm just gonna read the nut graph to just kind of give you a summary of what this article is about. So, the sounds of the wasteland are few and far between. Sometimes a wind bellows, and sometimes one can hear shouting or the screams of some unfortunate wanderer. The staccato of automatic rifle fire rings in the distance. But what stands out the most is the vast silence of the end of it all. Like the flatness of the Mojave Wasteland, the sounds of the land or lack thereof are drab, flat, and hardly anything at all. That is why the disc jockeys of Fallout's retro-futuristic apocalypse are so special. So just a bit of background here on Fallout to understand this setting. Um, The Fallout games deviate from the real world's history in the 1940s. And basically what happens is at the end of World War II, instead of going into this like big, long, terrible Cold War with Russia where everyone like built up their nuclear arms, um, the superpowers decide to instead invest their uh, nuclear technology in, you know, energy resources. So Fallout World takes on this like very, very like optimistic um, future version of like how 1950s America envisioned the future. But the really funny part about that is when, you know, 1950s America envisioned this, like, beautiful, optimistic tech future, um, they weren't super concerned about fossil fuel resources, right? So this optimistic version of the future um, still ends in nuclear destruction in 2077 uh, over depleting fossil fuel resources. So you get this, like, flash frozen version of this, like, optimistic 1950s future, but, like, destroyed and completely wiped out. So in a way, the setting almost reminds me of that Japanese City Pop article where we discussed, you know, like a flash capturing a particular decade of optimism that then becomes distorted by the actual reality that it exists in. Uh, So this flash frozen history is where the disc jockeys of Fallout pull their records. So meshed within, you know, in the case of this article, the Wild West theme of Fallout New Vegas's Mojave Desert Wasteland in Nevada. So, you know, one of the coolest things is to think about, like, the the writer in this piece talks about the music not just as um, music that soundtracks the game, but within the context of, like, this is literally the end of the world, everything is fucked, everything is destroyed, and there is a disc jockey somewhere pulling a dusty-ass country record and spinning it out on a radio that's just broadcasting into the abysmal wasteland. And like it added for me, it added a new depth to think of the music as not just like, you know, songs to listen to while I'm playing the game, but like the human aspect of like what is actually happening in that world with these tracks that are pulled from this like flash frozen optimistic future playing in a dusty wasteland. It was very visual, very descriptive. I loved it.
2: And it also goes down to the music selection too, of like of the of this disc jockey, something that they point out. And I was like, oh yeah, that that's that is odd. But I guess it makes sense in a really weird way if you've ever seen an apocalypse movie, is that the lyrics of some of the songs, in in this apocalyptic future, are actually happy and optimistic. It's almost like the disc jockey themselves, It gives more depth to the character of this disc jockey that <laughs> that we don't know anything about. But like, it's basically giving. They're like, hey, this music is giving. The people of this time hope even though it's like wastelands fucked up crap and that's like all this other bad things that are happening it's here's some optimism threw up some strings of a country record that you guys are gonna enjoy and it's it's it it gave depth to an idea of this world that i didn't even think about and i'm like oh wow even in this darkness there's light (laughs) <laughs> in, a, in a video game world,
0: I've got the I've got the quote right here because it's a banging quote. Thank you. Um, it says he's talking about like the disc jockeys playing the records. Maybe it reminds them of a world they can barely remember or have only heard about in stories passed down from their parents and their parents' parents. And that is enough. Fallout never directly speaks to the power of music as a cultural or communal artifact, but the mere fact that the radio stations and disc jockeys survived while the world died says all that needs to be said.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's beautifully descriptive this piece like the adjectives are in effect in this piece like oh by the way um the writer's name is cole henry because i i went down a rabbit hole and i f- found this linkedin so good nice very good cole henry.
0: <laughs> that's uh that's that's ryan on our um artist journalist contact
1: job on the podcast <laughs> yeah, exactly. doing, doing his thing yeah yeah um, but yeah, um, I thought that it did give a lot of depth to the world just through descriptions, and it felt almost like a novelization of the of the video game at some points. It really, it really hit that note, and I was able to visualize it without actually having played a Fallout game before. So yeah, that was great. Um, secondly, this is the most Brandon piece he's ever brought to the podcast. It's about music, games, and the end of the world. I could not be more on brand.
2: I was like, that sounds depressing.
1: <laughs> Spot
0: on, then. Spot on. Wallow in it. <laughs> Yell at the abyss.
1: But yeah, um, but mostly I loved how this piece worked in contrast to what Tyler brought, where um, Tyler looked at how... Well, more specifically, Beck looks at how video game music, how, comp- how composed scores are meant to gently guide you without, really, without you really noticing them. But the role of licensed music in video games is completely different. And it's a tool for world building rather than emotional guidance, as we heard before. Mm. Like, I love how here it's specifically supposed to be jarring and almost like a cruel reminder of how life was before the apocalypse. Here. And I think that's a really clever way to use music, not as, like, an actual score, which is also present in the game, but um, as licensed music that kind of brings this... It may, it forces the real world and the game world to collide, and I think that's really, really cool.
0: Right, and it's like when we go back to, like, aleatoric music, right? Like, there has to be some kind of... Um... Chaotic element to it right Mm -hmm. you can't control what the player is going to do so different composers and different games approach that differently And for fallout, it's like the way that they approach like the chaotic element of the player is through absurdity Right like they don't try to make it sync up They don't try to make it perfectly fitting so that you get moments where like it works in absurdity Um, I have a great quote from that somewhere in here Yeah, one of the best things about the music is how it doesn't always fit. The writer writes, you might be blasting away with a plasma rifle while Marty Robbins croons about six shooters and it shouldn't work, but it just does. It feels right. It's almost, yeah, like the Fallout soundtrack's answer to aleatoric music is absurdity. Instead of syncing it, instead of making it perfect, instead of making it predictable, instead of making it run off these algorithms, we're just gonna like throw it at you and how you receive it is, and how it plays out is again like we talked about in that video you composing this the score as the player
2: it describes a true method to madness in in a way um it's it it it, it makes sense in the fact that oh it's it's once again some of these things are not not supposed to be working but it does anyway because like while you're shooting away at all these like terrible things you're also getting some like happy tunes optimism it's and also, Ryan, I like how you like, really found the juxtaposition between those. I didn't even catch that until you said it. That was, that was a dope connection, man.
1: Thank you. <laughs> but um, no, there's something else that I wanted to talk about, which I kind of touched on earlier, uh, which is how, how writers, generally in music journalism, talk about immersion, right? Like, uh, like they're trying to convince you of it, you know? Do you remember that whole thing with the Spider-Man PS4 game? Where every single publication published the exact line, it makes you feel like Spider Man. You know, every single person said that. <laughs> and they weren't wrong. Right? They weren't wrong. They weren't wrong. But um, Cole, he never had to establish that the game made him feel immersed because of this, or that it made him feel like he was in the situations he described. He never had to say, oh, it made me feel like I was in the apocalypse. He never had to say that line. He kind of skipped that step entirely and just talks about the game as if he's in it already, right? Like uh, he said, like the quote, their songs repeat, repeat and repeat again. Maybe Marty Robbins will sing the Ranger with uh, will sing of the Ranger with a big iron on his hip while I get into a cramped, chaotic gunfight with Caesar's Legion in an old general store. Or maybe Peggy Lee's haunting voice will sing of Johnny Guitar while I stroll into the never to the ever lit New Vegas strip in the wee hours of the morning. He never has to tell you that he feels like the character because he believes he is, and you believe he is, because you have played a game before, and you have believed you are someone else too. And that just makes the descriptions of the impact of the music more visceral, because it feels like it's impacting a real person. Um, You know, like... We've played games before. We know that games make you feel like the character, but that doesn't really say much. You know, it's true. It, like, Plus, why PS4 really did make you feel like Spider-Man, but we knew that already. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's, it's like the article itself is immersive. Yeah. And, and their word choice and flow and structure really helped with all that. And, and more importantly, their voice. Their voice in the article made you feel immersed into it.
0: I think part of the way too is even, well, yeah, that's actually, that's one of the things I said when I um, popped this article in our chat and was like, this is the one I'm doing for the podcast was like, you know, immersion in a video game um, isn't forceful, right? Like it just, it eases you into it and you just, you're just there. Like that's the experience. And this article did the same thing too. It never really is direct about like placing you there. It just starts right off the bat with descriptions. Literally, The first couple sentences of the piece are cracked desert. As far as the eye can see with only the occasional scorched and dilapidated structure, breaking the flatness of the horizon, a sunburnt void where only the remnants of the Vegas strip remain properly lit and small sediments settlements scraping by to survive. You know, he doesn't tell you that you are there. Um, and he doesn't even like tell you that the character is there or, or that this is a thing that's experienced, you know, digitally or through a video game. He just, describes it. He just comes right in with the scene and you're there and it continues with that flow without ever really breaking from it through the entire piece.
1: Yeah, agreed. Yeah, he establishes himself so quickly and like establishes the tone and makes you feel like you're reading a chapter of a novel rather than an article and I think that's just brilliant.
0: Right, that's a great, like that's a great way to write about games too because Mm -hmm. if you think about it, you know, every person's experience with a game is different so there can almost be, you know, like a separate novelization a separate experience of like how every single person receives a game
2: yeah it's like you're um i'm not sure if you guys ever watch uh walkthroughs on youtube that's essentially the writer needs to walk like do a uh, actual like literary walk walkthrough to get you immersed into it
0: tyler just exposed that he's a casual gamer on <laughs> mic it's <laughs>
2: only when i can't afford the game or i don't have the system <laughs> Like for my all PS5 games right now, I can, which I can't afford.
1: (laughs) Or if the game's really hard and you're bad at games, like, yeah, also (laughs) me, also
2: me. That's how I finished Bioshock
1: Infinite for the first time. (laughs) I would not be able to beat Breath of the Wild without some of the Shrine walkthroughs. Because Some of them are just literally impossible to solve, so
0: yeah, yeah, especially if you're, tra- if you're trying to get like every single one of them, or if you're trying to find all like 2,000 Korok <laughs> seeds or whatever that whatever it is oh, that are like just so hidden man. under rocks all over the damn place.
1: Breath of
2: the yeah. Wild 2 is gonna screw me so bad.
1: Oh man, I can't, Legend, I can't wait. Legends Arceus and Breath of the Wild 2 coming in the same year.
2: Come on, man, we're gonna be so broke. <laughs> 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 already gonna go to video games.
0: yeah but back back to the article the one point that i wanted to close on that i think is going to be a good one to like just sort of open up a discussion that we can you know fade out to our uh, perfect podcast outros like we do um huh. is that at the end of this piece the the writer does a thing that i think is a sign of good journalism or not is a sign of like aware journalism and that's that he doesn't leave this piece just isolated and here's the game, here's the music, here's how I experienced it. Um, he brings it into the comparison to how the world is actually going through climate change right now, right? Like, in, so in the Fallout universe, you had this optimistic, really ideal version of the future and then it got shattered, right? And, and no one saw it coming and it just happened and now here's the optimistic music that we're bringing with us to the apocalypse, um, and he and he ends on this sort of, like, parallel between the way that the world now feels like, you know, through COVID and through climate change, like it's coming to this big, scary, like, apocalyptic conclusion. Um, and that got me thinking about, you know, because he, he says directly, who knows if the music today will survive the apocalypse of tomorrow, but if Fallout can somehow act as an example, then maybe some recorded music will survive Thanks to those who are as startled by the silence of endless nothingness as we are. And that had me thinking too, because, um, a hurricane was supposed to come through Boston a couple weeks ago. And thankfully, you know, it diverted and it went West and it kind of died out. Um, not like Ida, but, um, you know, it had me thinking about like, if I had the chance to like, I got to grab two records off my shelf and like, that's it. Like that's the apocalypse. The world is coming to an end. This is what we got to spin. I was like, you know, what what would I pick, you know? So I want to hear from you guys too, what is your Apocalypse record? What is your end of the world spin? Uh, um, and if you want me to start, I think I've narrowed my choice down to great a Grateful Dead album. I don't know specifically which one, maybe even just like the best of the Grateful Dead album. But it sort of matches um, what the writer talked about in this piece about like the surrealness of the Apocalypse You know, the fact that, like, the right apocalyptic music isn't some kind of, like, insane, chaotic, like, heavy death metal. It's something that, like, sounds um, almost frivolous. It sounds almost uh, fun and entertaining. But then there's, like, a deeper, surreal meaning behind the music. And I just think that, like, the Grateful Dead captures the shit out of that.
2: I came up with mine as you were saying it, and, it's, and I just recently got it on vinyl, too. Um, Blue in Exile, Below to Heavens. Wow, yeah. I, um wow. I love that album a lot. It's actually one of the first, I guess you could say, like, almost underground hip-hop albums that I ever heard. Mm. And sometimes when I just need a reminder of just everyone has problems for a minute, I listen to that album. Um, blue collar worker is is my joint, um, and of course like the uh the two part outro below the heavens really just, make gives me like a happy tear, um, come to my eye, it's like I'm it's like I cry for a second or I have a tear and then I'm happy again and I think if I had that if I could save that record, it would probably be that. Oh, it'd be t- something. Uh, uh, okay,
1: so for the listeners, um, Charlie read my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Because at the exact moment he pulled out his vinyl of uh, "B" by Common, is one of the ones I was considering. If you talk about hopeful ends, there's nothing more hopeful than the ending of "B." Man. My God, nothing more hopeful than that. Um, that, album. that it's unbelievable. If you're going by records I actually own, <laughs> then it would have to be um, some rap songs. I don't know; it's like kind of a cop out to just choose your favorite album, but I also think it's <laughs> no, not this, at all. it's my favourite album but also I think it it works because as Tyler was saying you know how "Blow the Heavens reminds them that everyone has problems Um, on the album Earl is going back and forth between like pure happiness and pure hope and elation and despair and the album ends on a two track on these two tracks the first one called um, Peanut where he's talking about the death of his father and his uncle and then the final track is called Riot, spelled with an exclamation mark. And it's just an instrumental that is so hopeful and upbeat and loud. And yeah, I think those two tracks right at the end of the world, it just really fits. So yeah, that's, that's what I would choose.
0: I thought Flamagra would be a good one too. And I there definitely is a Flying Lotus pick. But I was trying to decide between You're Dead and Flamagra, but I went with Flamagra because of the way that Flamagra is about this, like, ever present, like, fire inferno, like, literally, this massive, living, sentient fire that's, like, burning around the society, but how everyone in the society, like, goes on like it's normal. And when it comes to, like, you know, seeing the way we've handled climate change and the COVID pandemic, um, there seems to be something very truthful to the idea that, like, the apocalyptic record um, could reflect the surrealness of, like, The world is ending, but people going on as long as possible, like just trying to hang, like just trying to be normal, like not actually addressing anything, solving it, even like preparing for the end of the world, but just like ignoring it.
2: And and I can I'm going to say one more record. I I know we have to like wrap up soon, but I'm just going to say one more record. Um, It's the first CD I've ever received in life. It wasn't the first one I bought, but it was the first one I ever got from my dad. Uh, Probably wouldn't expect this, but. In My Own Words by Neo uh, would be one of the records I would save. Uh, it's the first album I've ever received, and it just always sold a special place in my heart. So, yeah, it would be that one.
0: If I make it through the apocalypse, The Wasteland's going to have a lot of Mac Miller to listen to. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 my heart.
0: All right, is, is that a wrap? Anybody got a closing point?
1: No, no, it's a wrap on the piece. Yeah.
0: Listeners, thank you again for sticking with us Through another episode of In Search of Sauce uh, This one was our second Iteration of our special video game music i want to give a big shout out to the journalists That we covered today um, Just as a brief recap How music shapes the way we play video games By Kellen Beck from Mashable Ryan's video The Double-Edged Nature of Video Game Music On YouTube uh, Published by Sideways And last but not least, My Piece uh, Soundscapes of the End in on medium um by ryan you want to give the name again
1: Uh, cole henry
0: and the byline for that if you want to find it online is in the lobby um as always listeners if you are a small-time writer or if you're you know following someone else who's a small-time writer um, send us your stuff send us their stuff we will check it out we may feature it on the podcast you know, we would love to continue broadening the horizons of the coverage that we do on this podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Mm. See you next time. This episode of Search of Source featured Ryan Gore, Brandon Hill and Tyler Jones of the Central Source Creative Collective. The episode was edited by me, Charlie Taylor of the Fifth Element Podcast Network. The music for the show is functioned up by Barsity. Thanks to your Up Records for the ability to use. This has been a search of Source Fifth Element Podcast Network production. Links to Barsity, your Up Records, Central Source, Fifth Element and content covered in the episode can all be found in the full show notes below. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you next time. As we continue our search for Source.